Hello, and welcome back to the What The Fork podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. Today's guest is a scouser that was adopted in Scotland and featured over 300 times for the likes of Stockport County, Aberdeen, St Mirren, and Inverness Cali Thistle, among a few others. Welcome to the show, Greg Tansy. How are you, mate? You all right? Yeah, good to, good to be here, mate. Yeah, looking forward to it. You're the first scouser I've had on the show, I think. Yeah, hopefully you don't have to sort of tightly. I might have to, we'll see how it goes, mate. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> first things first, I think there's a lot of people know about myself. Um, I'm an Englishman, but absolutely love Scotland. Lived there for 10 years, hoping to go back ASAP. Love the place. You were there for a few years. Um, how, how did you find it as an Englishman living in Scotland? No, I loved it. I loved it. Um, I've had spells in my career down south in England, and, and I didn't really take to that. To be honest, I didn't take to the area down south. Um, just wasn't for me for whatever reason. But in Scotland, it just felt, it just felt a lot like Liverpool, Glasgow particularly. Reminded yeah. reminds me a lot of Liverpool. Um, I think it might just be that northern thing. Northern people are all easier to get on with. I don't know. I, yeah. I, that's what I think anyway. That's how More I feel about it. Easy to talk to, yeah. That's exactly how I feel about it. Do you know when you were, um, obviously you played relatively up north with uh, Inverness and Aberdeen and stuff like that. And before I go too far, did you live, where did you kind of situate yourself in Glasgow? Or were you, did you live up in, in up in north? Um, well, when I was in, when I was in at St. Mirren towards the end of the yeah. career, I lived in uh, Renfrew, uh, yeah. Paisley, which is the Paisley area. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's, you know, it was all right. Working class, you know, as, as I said, reminded me a lot of Liverpool. And um, yeah, it was not, not far from Glasgow, the city centre at all. So yeah, it was, it was. Um, I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed staying there. It's a lot different to Inverness. Cause yeah. That's up in the sticks. Up in the sticks. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to uh, run into too many people up there. Uh, it's classed as a city. Um, but yeah, it's more like a, it's more like a, it's more like a village, but it's it was my, you know, most enjoyable time of my career up there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you retired a short while ago, just at back end of 2019, which was actually seven months ago, believe it or not. Um, yeah. COVID aside, which has changed a lot of things, how's the first yeah. few months been for you coming outside of like an, a not being an official professional footballer? Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was a long time coming, me retirement. Uh, it's one of them things where when you're out for a certain amount of time, it's in the back of your mind, but you don't really want to entertain it. You want to, yeah. you know, push on and give it every every chance it, you can possibly give it. Um, but towards towards the end, when I made the decision, and I've said it previously in interviews, uh, I, I struggled massively when I, during the time during the time I, I was about to retire through the saga of the injury during that time, and then obviously about four or five months. After that, I couldn't even watch the game. You know, I really, I really struggled. Yeah, I just didn't. I don't know. I don't know if any, if any other players, you know, had have this problem, but I, I couldn't watch the game. Um, you know, I think maybe the way it happened and the way I had to retire, a lot of bad blood and what and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, it was tough. But now I'm just, I'm just, uh, I've got me coaching badges booked in. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, um, uh, it was, it was a tough one to take tough one to, to deal with but you know without saying cliche it does make you stronger after you go yeah. through something like that in your life it does make you stronger so you know I, I take the positives from it yeah, yeah absolutely um, I think 
obviously you were talking before about Scotland. Obviously, as people can tell, and we've already noted, you are a scouser and you haven't lost the accent despite the years you had in Scotland. Um, <laughs> you, you can, made... can you? No, nah, you can't. Did you stick staying in? Have you gone back to Liverpool? Have you stayed up in Scotland since you've retired? No, I'm back. Yeah, I'm back in Liverpool. Back in Liverpool. Uh, I lived away. Lived away for the whole, pretty much the entire, yeah. entire career. My entire career is best part of 12 years. I think I lived away. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's good to have grounding. And that's yeah. something that's something you don't really have when you play football. So that was a nice... That's been a nice change. I'll have to admit, because you, as you as you can imagine, you're just moving here, there, and everywhere. So yeah, you know, you feel like a bit of a traveller to be honest. But uh, but yeah, yeah. Now I'm happy to be on finally. I was reading something yesterday. I think it was. I have a feeling it was James Harper. I think ex Pompey that posted it, and he was talking about um, like the struggles of being a footballer and what people see on the the outside and, and the expectations of what you should be and how you should present yourself. And then he had all the stuff underneath and he was saying like, people don't realize as a footballer, you're, you're moving city to city. Sometimes you're having this new set of friends. You having to get used to meeting new people. It's kind of like moving a job every six months, isn't it? For someone like me, it's like a new job every six months to a year. And then once sometimes you get used to something and then you're going somewhere else, meeting a new guy that you might not get on with a new set of fans, a new set of expectations. It's it's not as simple as just moving a city and having loads of money being able to do it, is it? It's just it can't be. No, no. No, no, no. It's not it's not the it's not the glitz and glamour that people that people perceive it as. I mean, even for the top boys, even for these top boys, you know, the likes of the lads in the Premier League in England and 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 whatnot, they you know, you see a lot of them having to move the families with them. Yeah, because they they struggle to settle as well. It's not. It's 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 definitely not. Don't get me wrong. We're very. I, I was very lucky to to do the to do the job I did and have the career I, I had. All I was cut short, but you know there are there are pitfalls to that, and there are there are you know there are obstacles you've got to you've got to overcome all the time. Uh, you pretty much get dropped. You pretty much drive to a place with your boots in the back. Get out. You've got to go to training. You've got twenty other lads who want your shirt and what you, you know, want to start in the same team you do. Yeah. Uh, and you've got to hit the ground running while you adapt to your surroundings as well. So it's there's a lot there's a lot to juggle, lot to juggle. But you know, um, you know, don't get me wrong. You're very you are very lucky, very lucky to if you if you're able to have a career. But you're right, right, bringing up to yeah. drop it full. I think you're definitely right in what you say. There is those pitfalls you have, like, and and you are judged on two hours on a Saturday. That's that's the thing. You yeah. have all that stuff yeah. you're doing, but if it doesn't happen on for the two hours on a Saturday, the next week's extra pressure, extra pitfalls, and stuff like. I'm making it sound like a terrible job. I'm sure it was fantastic. No, no, no. <laughs> it's what, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. But um, but yeah, there is there is that as well. If you have a nightmare, you maybe don't go into yeah. Twitter account that night. You know, you just maybe let it blow over a little bit. But. Uh, but yeah, don't get me wrong. It's it's not it's not a bad job. It's not a yeah, bad job. It's not bad at all. Looking sort of back at your career, um, obviously you started at Stockport, but you know, as we said, you're you're born into Liverpool. And as anyone listens, and anyone who knows, I like to delve right back into as far back as I can go. So, uh, born in Liverpool, nineteen eighty eight. What are your sort of earliest memories of football? Earliest memories of football were just uh, playing in my granddad's back garden. Um, must have been all three or four. I had the ball, and that—that's that, my earliest memory I can think of. 
yeah. to be honest. I always always remember my family. My family were diehard Evertonians. Yeah. My granddad played for Everton in the in the late fifties. Yeah. Um, my uncle then went on to uh, move to Australia um, and actually played the Australian national team. You know, got citizenship there. So football was massive in my family right the way through. Um, so from an early age, I felt there was a little. There was no pressure put on me by anyone else. It yeah. was just, I felt I had to live up to something. So it was good to, I was very lucky to have people like that around me. Uh, but yeah, there was, I, I lived and breathed football all my career, all my life. Not even my career, all my life. And um, that's all I thought about. That's all I thought about. I did okay in school, could have done better. I was one of them. But uh, all, all, I, all I thought about was football. You know, from as as long as I can remember, primary school, I was thinking about was being playing football. So, so yeah, you know, it was I absolutely lived and breathed it. There's a huge benefit, I think, to um, and we'll talk about Glasgow and Liverpool. And obviously, I was born in in Sunderland, but I think there's a huge benefit to places like Liverpool, the northeast, uh, Scotland. Is that street football kind of never really went away? I mean, like if I looked at my front window, I'd probably see kids at the top end of the street still playing it, despite the fact yeah. that PlayStations and Xbox have come in, come into play. And you're like around about my age. I've got a couple of years on you, only yeah. a couple. Um, only but, a couple. <laughs> only a couple, a very, very small couple. But like <laughs> our era was playing football, and our cities were street football, weren't they? Even if you were absolutely yeah. shite or whether you were the best, everyone was getting a ball and, and playing. It was yeah, PlayStations and whatnot have changed it a little bit and we're all guilty of that even as adults. But there is yeah. real benefit to places like Glasgow. I think I spoke to Chris Burke and he was saying he loves how the big Glasgow Greens and he can take his kids out and he can play street, like grass football with them. I think yeah. it's almost like even if, I mean, you had the benefit of obviously being in the city, that's football mad, same as me, but you had family mm. there as well as well. But even kind of, you said before, your family didn't put pressure on you to, to be professional football or anything like that. You almost feel like you've got that benefit, don't you? Being in that city where everyone you can get an eleven aside, no bother. Oh, but yeah, yeah, we had no problem. I mean, I yeah, I grew up on. I lived in Heighton. I grew up in Heighton yeah. in Liverpool, which is quite a quite a rough area. I grew up on a council estate, so yeah, it was literally, you know, there was there was people obviously, as you can imagine, going the wrong way. Yeah, I was fortunate enough. I was fortunate enough. I I I took the right way. But you'd spot on there. We could get 15 v 15 on the local field like that. Bikes with goalposts gone. Yeah. And, and then you'd have it. You'd out there for hours, like 25 all or something mad like that. And then um, you're having penalties at the end. Yeah. And the thing is, you talk about where you're from as well. Um, there's been a lot of professional players came from that area. Joey Barton's from there, right? Yeah, yeah, he is, yeah. Yeah. You could say professional yeah, footballer. He wasn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Newcastle tie. I can't yeah. feel that Newcastle tie in there. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, he. he I mean, for, for if you look at it, he, he, he's got his, he's got his stories, and and you know, just he, he's a bit, bit controversial to say the least. Yeah, uh, just a bit. But um, <laughs> but yeah, he's. I mean, what he's done, what he's what he did in his career. Um, career, didn't he? he still a career where yeah, yeah yeah he still he still played at the top level you've got to take your hat off to that you know it takes a lot to get there so Steven Gerrard is my main one though Steven yeah. Gerrard was from the local area he, although he was a red you know you, you can't deny how good he was and yeah. I just every he was my my hero growing up 
Um, I didn't tell any of my mates that because I was they were all blues, but I'd got lynched. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, every time I watched them play, it was just I was just in autumn. I think when you're looking at like players that came through, and you talked before about, I mean, Gerard's like the pinnacle, isn't he? Let's be honest. And I know, yeah. He didn't win the league and so on and so forth. But let's be honest, he was absolutely phenomenal. One of the best players this country's produced, let alone that city. Yeah. But um, he, he, Joey Barton, take away the controversial side, he still played for his country as well. That area did produce a lot of players. And I think that probably has come from street football, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's come from, it, it comes from the, um, the street football, that working class having to work for everything you you, yeah. you need or want. Never mind, want it. Having to work everything for everything you need. I never went without. But there were kids around me that would go without. So I was just one of the lucky ones, to be honest. Uh, so yeah, I think that working class hard work that's, that's built into you from a young age, it's the best, I think it's the best kind of grounding you need for, yeah. for your life. Because you know, from, from the get-go, you know how to sort of get in the trenches, if you like, and work for something you want. Yeah, I think that's the best. That's the one of the best ways, you know, to be brought up. I'm probably, um, I'm probably assuming a little bit here, but I imagine we both probably come from the same background. I was council estate in Sunderland as well. There was times yeah. when, like, the lights would go off, with it, the the electric would go off, and would run out of the emergency, and that was it. We're at bed at seven o'clock at night. So, yeah, do you know when you see like the gesture? I'm seeing the gesture that the work Marcus Rashford put in um, the other week, like yeah. the other week with like free like. I kind of feel like we've come from a background where if we didn't have that, there would have been probably kids that we knew that went through that. Um, how yeah. important do you think that social side is in football in, in current day? Like that footballers do speak up for kids who maybe need a bit of help and need a bit of a hand, shall we say? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of footballers in the last few years, you know, they'll make a mistake or whatnot and, and they say, you know, people people say about, you know, they're not role models. Mm-hmm. Listen, every single footballer playing in the Premier League is a role model for someone. Yeah. Course, and yeah. I think I think during this lockdown, I think one of the good things that came came out of it, people are starting to recognise the good work footballers actually do. They, they've gotten a lot of bad press in the past, a lot of bad press. It's, it's almost like in the past, papers wouldn't really want to highlight what Marcus Rashford done they'd rather highlight what Joey Barton's done yeah. you know and that'll sell more papers for such for such a young lad to to do to do what he did I mean it's it, it, you know you, you've just got to uh, you've got to hold the band I'm the, I'm the same year I grew up in that background where you know I was on I was on the, the free meals at school yes yeah, so. Um, so it would have it would have affected me as you said if not one of my mates, make no mistake about it, it would have. So for the amount for the amount of people he's looked after, the amount of kids and families he's looked after, you know, it's it's unbelievable, really. I've never really seen I know footballers do a lot of good things, but I've yeah. but that 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 one really stands out. I think maybe in the current climate, the way things are, it probably stands out a little bit more, but take nothing away from it's superb, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's like I think for a long time it's this felt like there's been a bit of a disconnect between the high end of football and the modern day fan because of whatever it may be, ticket prices, um, extortionate wages, whatever you name. Mm. But then you see something like that and you it, it felt like suddenly people have realized that and, and with you know the, the creation of podcasts and, and interviews and being able to have a little bit more chat with professional footballers, both ex and current, you kind of start to realise that the lads that are on the pitch 
they they were just lucky than us to be a bit more talented. And that's all it is, yeah. It's great to have that connection back where you see someone of the nature and stature. And you know, Raheem Sterling's another one that's been socially fantastic over the past couple of years and yeah. really spoke out about things. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, when you get someone from a background similar to so maybe myself and people like Marcus Rashford, I think it's quite important that we probably discuss the the social side of that and how that's been great. But um yeah. I guess going back to the football, Stockport um was your first club. Yeah. Um now for, for those old enough to remember Stockport when they were in the championship, I think you joined when they were in championship league one. Um yeah, that was you, it, yeah. What was your journey to Stockport? Um, well, well, I was under. I was playing the thirteen schoolboy football, um, and I was doing okay, doing well. Um, and there was a few scouts watching me, and, and Stockport were one of them. Um, and it was a few Premier League clubs watching me. Step up, Liverpool. They watch any any kid who's decent yeah. at that age. You'll get a bit of. You get. You'll get people watching you. Um, but my mum and dad pushed me to go to Stockport because they said you'd, I'd have more of a chance to break through. You know, it was a... It, although people who don't know the history of Stockport might not believe it now, but, the, you know, they're a big, they're a big club. They've got a big yeah. fan base. Um, and, you know, I went, I went down to train uh, and after a six-week trial, you know, they offered me a contract uh, it's just a schoolboy contract, so it was year to year, mm-hmm. and that was my first taste really of of, um, of having to prove yourself every every single game, um, and it was it was it, it was a it was the perfect place to go to, to to sort of learn your trade because you had a real chance again in the first team if you were if you were any good and you really you know worked hard. So there was always that there was always that. Um, that character, basically, all the coaches used to talk and, and say, "Listen, if you if you're doing well here, you're doing well here, you you'll, you know you get recognised." And you know, next minute, the the managers were were quite frequently watching the young lads play, which I think is a massive thing for any young lad when they're coming through. If you see the top manager play or the assistant manager, it gives that real connection between all the all the academy and the first team. You know, it makes it. It, it really, it really inspires the lads. I yeah. felt that anyway, um, and that's what the atmosphere was like there. A lot of, a lot of good, good people, good coaches, and and it was, you know, I really enjoyed it. I can't, I can't say, I can't say anything bad about the place. You know, I just the only the tough bit was when I was there as a young pro. You know, I was lucky enough to sign me pro and 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 be doing quite well. Uh, and then I just got into the first team, just playing regularly. And then they went into administration. That's where the money, yeah. money problem started. So it was real, a real baptism of fire that way. Um, I was quite, quite lucky. It was just, it was. I was just sort of playing for myself at that stage. I didn't have any family. Didn't have a house to pay for. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 looking back, I was quite thankful for it. But I couldn't imagine what the lads there. Who had a couple of kids, a wife, and, and a house to pay for? We're going through because there was times where we weren't getting paid, mm. um, and the, the fans themselves didn't deserve that. But yeah, as I said, it was a baptism of fire. But you know, it's a great time. I look back on the great times. 
When it comes to um, Stockport and stuff, and I think I've posed this question to people a few times, you have certain players that, um, obviously we were talking off air before about Peter Hartley, who came through the Sunderland Academy yeah. and, and then went to like League One, League Two, and then the uh, Scottish Premiership and whatnot, and has, has built a career from that. And I think there's a lot of players that do now come through Premiership Academies and they finally seem to get the chance of 21-22, but you obviously made your debut about 17 and you had a good four mm. or five years of being in and around the squad. Um promoted, relegated, you had all sorts in those first five sort of years. Yeah. How much do you, do you feel quite lucky that you had that upbringing as opposed to like a Premier League academy and you were sort of putting cotton wool and not sent it on loan to anyone and you were told about certain styles of play and told you were going to be great. Are you quite pleased you got in with a load of men that were playing for their mortgage? Yeah, that's exactly, you hit the nail on the head at the end there, playing for the mortgage. I think you see a lot of lads and it's, uh, well, people call them a washbag culture where yeah. um, you see the lads who've never played the game, 22, 23, walking in with the Louis Vuitton wash bags and don't know what it's like to go to Akron's and stand me away on a, on a Tuesday night. <laughs> I do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? They're just used to, they're just, they're just used to um, I don't know, some lovely sprinkled uh, reserve pitch Yeah. at Man City or at Carrington, Man United, and they're going and playing tip-tap football. They're not going to have some dirty centre-mid that breathing down your neck wanting to take yeah. your legs away from you it, 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 and and to be honest that I felt I feel very lucky now I did that because um because I had I was playing I was playing first team as you said I was around the first team or experiencing it from 17 onwards and in that year in the years at Stockport it was very I hated it at the time yeah in terms of hated us sort of getting relegated even though we got promoted and then it we got relegated and relegated and I was it, it, basically the club was being managed in the wrong way at boardroom level I know that now but as a, as a 17 year old I'm going what the fuck's going on here like I, she just sort of dealing with all kinds um, you know protests by fans on the pitch at half time and, and during games and I'm and you're just like wow but looking at it now it, it stood me in good stead it's you pretty much after after them couple of years, you're pretty much used to anything at that point. You're not really phased me going after that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I think uh, some of the some of the washbag culture that that that's maybe what they they need to stamp out. Maybe I don't know. Maybe cap wages until you, you you play get a first team appearances. I, I don't know because there'll be lads at top top clubs who. Fans really don't even know. Never step foot on the on the pitch, and they'll be on twenty five grand a week. And I think that's where the, the the sort of the levels between you know the the working class fan, like we all are, and then you've got the distance between that. You know, yeah. no no wonder fans get disillusioned when they're paying you know x amount of money to take the family to to a game. They can't do it. Yeah, and I think all that. That, that's where that's where there becomes that bit of friction where the fans, you know, don't really buy into what the club are doing because they've got things like that going on. It's so different to um maybe what like my my dad and my granddad saw. They were like they could watch the, the lads and support them on the Saturday and then go in the pub on the five half five, six o'clock and you know, they'd be in the pub afterwards as well with the players and they could just have a bit of a chat and they were just lads. It's, it has changed. And it's, yeah. it, as we said before, we, we've talked about, you know, how 
much modern day footballers are connecting a lot more, but there is that's where the original disparity came from. The the media teams stopping. I'm, I'm saying media teams. I work in media as well, but media teams stopping players from saying anything that's not just totally generic, and then having those wage and then not being able to speak out. It did change a little bit from the, the men's game, which I think is why I wanted to touch on the, the sort of Rashford stuff because it feels like the the fans game again, doesn't it? A little bit. It's feeling like it's getting closer. Yeah, I think I think as a player, as players, fans love it when you're just honest. Yeah, fans love it when you're just honest. I watch, I mean, you see them yourself on Sky Sports News. The lads that get interviewed and they're just basically just saying anything. They're saying nothing. Words. They're yeah. doing the best to say nothing. They're just saying words. It's not what they think. I think the fans would love it if more and more players spoke out and just spoke honestly. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's not... It's not, it's it's not a big deal. I think I think the media, not not yourself, the papers. I think yeah. the papers have a lot to answer for in that regard. When you were at Stockport, you played under Jim Gannon. Um, yeah, I had the best thing ever about Jim Gannon. I don't know if it's true. I hope it's true though. He um, he refused to speak to Sky Sports before because he had a nine month running dispute over a defective Sky HD box. Um, is that true? Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. So who's a character then? Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, stories like that, that's that's what the fans want, isn't it? Yeah. You, you want down to it. It's just a guy who goes, no, they're not, they're not doing me skybox. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> and, that, and that's, it was hilarious. I mean, I thought it was brilliant. And it's I a great it story. And it almost got him more recognition and a lot more publicity. Yeah. Because he did that. Um, so, yeah, we all, I remember, I remember when it happened and all the lads, that's typical that's what Jim's like. Yeah. Uh, it was it was brilliant. But he's a very good, very good football manager as well. He's very good tactically and 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 he is very, very intelligent. Maybe he did that on purpose. So, you know, you could get a bit of bit of um information, you know, a bit of uh, hype for the club, yeah, so to speak. Uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't put a pass, I wouldn't put a past him to do that because he is intelligent, very intelligent what he does. It's just superb that you like you refuse to speak to Sky Sports because of a long run nine <laughs> nine month dispute over a, a skybox. It's just the modern day fan you know can identify with point, that. Yeah, I, yeah. So can I. At that point, there was so much going on in the club. The lads laughed, but I think it was just forgotten about then. It was, yeah. it was, it was far more going on. But yeah, now now you've reminded me. It's brilliant. Just a superb, superb story. Um, yeah. As I was saying before, you spent like. Uh, five seasons approximately at Stockport. Uh, game yeah. promotion, unfortunate relegation, and your final season. Um, sort of when you got relegated, though, like you said before, I think you were top scorer that season, the season that you left. Yeah. And you ended up signing for Terry Butcher originally at um, Inverness Cali. Obviously, one of yeah. the most famous names and iconic names in, in English football or British football. Um, were you quite nervous meeting Terry Butcher? Yeah. Yeah, he's got, he, yeah, I was, yeah. He's got a, He's got an aura about him, hasn't he? He's yeah. got an aura about him, definitely. I think he, he definitely lives up to the hype when you meet him. He's a large-in-life character. Uh, a very a, a good man. Who, when you speak to me, you know, he, he really, you know, really spoke to me well and, and, and you know, sold the club to me well. Um, and I thought it was a, just a great opportunity for me at that point to get a bit of exposure because there's a lot more... A lot more eyes on you, yeah. Basically, when when you when you're in Scotland, because you know you're playing live on TV, you know, a good few times a season, and and um, and yeah, to, to 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 play under him was something was something I, 
you know, I was I was really wanting to do. And I all I always throughout my career I want to impress managers. Mm-hmm. And I think I don't know where that comes from. I always wanted to impress and sort of get acknowledgements or get some recognition from a manager. I think most players are like that. And the thought of getting recognition from him when I went there was a big factor in me going. Um, because he's seen it all, hasn't he? Player wise, yeah. he's seen every player going. So if I if I was to get some recognition from him, it was you know it would uh, you know, I was I was I was really striving for that. So yeah, it was it was perfect for me to go up. I think with uh, with Terry Butcher because I was I was an, being a Sunderland fan. He was the first manager that I ever had. Didn't last very long at Sunderland. Didn't really work from at Sunderland. Yeah. Hasn't worked at many different clubs, but at Inverness, mm. you know, you look at the team that you had then as well. You've got players that still doing quite well. Tom Aldridge, uh, Johnny Haynes, yeah, um, Andrew Shinney. Obviously, players that did yeah. really really well. Um, he built quite a good team, and I think you got the job that went to to Hibs. So. When he was mm. in Vanessa, I know it was only the one season you had with him, but sort of what was he like, Terry Butcher, then? Was he like quite motivated or was he quite more technical than you expected? Or uh, he, he wasn't very technical, so to speak. He was just a motivator. He was a real motivator. Um, he could give the hairdryer treatment. Jeez, he could. I've seen him at Ibrox, Ibrox smash a teapot. It's uh, porcelain teapot all over the place, cut his hand open, and not even big gash on his hands, bleeding, and not even bat an eyelid, and carried on giving us it, giving us the hair dry treatments. I've seen him, I've seen all kinds. I've seen him tackle lads in the in the changing room to show them how to tackle properly. Um, but that that's what you get from him. That's what you get from him. You just gotta it, when he goes. When he goes off on one, you just got to look at the floor. You don't want to make eye contact because he'll come for you next. Um, and yeah, I remember he, at home games, he used to sit in the stand most of the time and you could hear him like he was next to you. He'd be screaming, literally screaming. And, you know, God help little old man or little old woman sat beside him. He's shouting all kinds at the, at the players. But the fans loved it. The fans really, really bought into him and he was, you know, he worshipped him the rest. You know, the, the whole town loved him, the whole city loved him. Um, so, yeah, he's just, he's exactly what the, the thought you have of Terry Butcher as a player, as a person, that's exactly how he is. That's exactly how he is. So, he's, he's not, he's what you see is what you get. And that's yeah. all you want for, really, in a manager. Do you find that, because um, I mean, every player plays different under a different manager. But um, one thing I've found throughout speaking to footballers is if you have a manager that's honest, it just makes such a difference. And Terry Butcher comes across as pretty damn honest. Does it make you want to play for someone more when they're just honest and to the point, even if they're saying, you're shite, you're not in my plans? Does that just give yeah. you a bit more like, well, cheers for letting me know where I'm at? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's, all, that's all you want. That's all you want because if a, if a manager sort of, blow smoke up your ass, so to speak, and says, yeah, yeah, you're great, I'm going to play, I'm going to play, yeah, and then you go up to the office and he's gone, no, he's, he's yeah. shy or whatnot, you know, he's not, and the respect throughout the whole, the respect throughout the whole squad will go. Yeah. All you can have, you know, a, a man, the best policy for a manager is just to be honest because you gain the respect whether the player likes you or not. You know, the, 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 there's, there's managers I've, I've played under and I wouldn't have any respect for them because they don't tell the truth. Yeah. And they don't, you know, they, they, if you're a good person and you're an honest person, 
that's really the least you can bring as a manager, I feel, to the, the players because they're going to respect you when you say something, they're going to believe it. Um, and it works both ways as well. If you say the shite one week or you're shite, you know, me plans and then you say to another player, you know, I really like you, I think you've been quality. They know you mean that. Yeah. If you're telling everyone the grades but you're getting rid of players, the players you actually want to praise, they're going to go, I'm not sure if he actually means this. I'm not, sh- and, and it creates a bit of uncertainty in the dressing room. I, I think, I think honesty is the best way to be. Yeah, and it builds confidence as well, doesn't it? Because and I think, yeah, exactly. How many times do you see teams that are maybe not as talented on paper beat other teams when they're on a good run of form just because they're confident? Leicester are probably mm. the prime example. Storm yeah. the league just because they won a couple of games and someone went, they could win a league, and they just continued on. And I think when a manager's honest. It, I mean, I don't know. I've never played professional football, but it seems to me that if someone's honest with you, and like you said before, it means more when he says you've played well if you know for a fact he'll tell you when you've played shite. You're spot on. You're spot on. With Inverness, you only had like a, a year originally in Inverness and you rejected a contract and, and moved to Stevenage, but you seem to have obviously a great time, you know, in, in hindsight at Inverness because of your second spell. Yeah. What made you leave so quickly the first time? Um... Well, I felt, I felt at that point, I don't, you know, you look and you look back in your career and think sometimes, what the fuck was I doing there? Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and at the time, Stevenage had been in the League One playoffs, they just missed out on promotion to the championship. Yeah. They were interested in me. Um, within Vanessa, I'd done well. Uh, Within Vanessa, done well, but it is logistically, it's like seven hours away from home. Yeah, it's a nightmare. So I think, yeah, yeah. During my career, I've I'd always, I've, I've always struggled with living away. Although I lived away my whole career, mm-hmm. I never got used to it. So although you know, Stephen is just still two hours away. Two hours felt round like round the corner. Yeah. Me. You know, you know. So it was. I was thinking I could be playing. I always wanted to have a go at the championship as well. I've always thought my style of play would do well there. Uh, so I sensed that, I sensed that, and thought, you know, if we can get up next year, or I do well, you know, I can. I used it as like a, a, a way to get into the championship, or that's what I thought. And then, you know, I got there. I got there in the first the first six months. I actually enjoyed. I actually enjoyed it. First six months, um, I was playing under a manager called Gary Smith. Uh, he got he got sacked, and then and then yeah, they, they brought in Graham Wesley, and there's there's some some managers are set up for players, and he's and and there's other way around some managers that just should never be near certain players on and, and vice versa, and that and that was one of them. I was just some of the things, some of the things I, I just I couldn't believe. What I heard, what I heard, what I saw. Um, don't get me wrong, he's had, who might I say, he's, he's had promotions in the past, you know, he's had promotions in the past and, and, and whatnot. But for me, you know, I just, it was impossible to play under him for me. I, I couldn't, I couldn't take the man seriously. He's actually a nice guy. He's actually a nice yeah. guy out of football because he gave me a text before, before I went into some, before I went into, the two cup finals with Vanessa, he actually gave me a text. I'm thinking, is this the same guy? Like, 
He seemed really nice here. He's wished me all the best and stuff like that. And 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 then in the in the dressing room, in the dressing room while I was there at Stephen, he's like, he's he's calling himself saying his kids call him medal winner and and stuff like that. But don't call him dad. I love like, that. It's the wrong way to go. It's unbelievable. It's it's so I think that's really. That's 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 done the rounds. That's I think everyone everyone I spoke to about him knows that one. It's so bizarre. Um, like, yeah. I mean, but I think because I posted something this morning said you know if anyone's looking for if anyone's low in confidence during lockdown like look up some quotes <laughs> from uh, from Graham Wesley, and it's like the standout one is as you said, my kids don't call me dad; they call me medal winner. But what was like the most mental thing? that he did to you. Now, actually, I'm saying the word mental. I think that's wrong. Maybe the, the most bizarre moment that, he's, yeah. that you remember. Well, I think... I think I'll, 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 well, one thing I will say about, about him, I don't think he's the actual man he perceives, he, he, uh, he portrays in yeah. the football world. So I think when he gets home, he's just a normal like family yeah. guy and, and, and he's great. But Jordan, when he's, when he's in... When he goes in that car park and he goes into, his, into the ground. You know, I've seen, I've seen, there was one particular time where there's a new, there was a new signing or potential new signing who came to the club who wants to do, he wants to talk to with, uh, in regards of, of signing. A free agent um, come and have a talk to him as you do, you know, speak about the club and, and what his, what his, um, what his ambitions are for the club and whatnot. So I'm stood by I'm stood by our uh, our dressing rooms and I'm going into the gym. So as you come out of the dressing room and go into the gym on the left, you turn left to go into the gym. His office is opposite, and there's them little glass uh, windows in the door, so I can see through. Uh, so I give him a little. I, I, I look in, and I see the lad there with his agent, obviously like new player, walk in, go into the gym, do me bit of uh, prehab and stuff like that walk out look back in again and Wesley's got the guy in a head in a headlock on the floor and he's got him in a headlock now I'm I'm thinking I've said I've, I've said to the lads because the lads the lads all gathered around because he knew he was going to do something anyway because that's what he does the, the lads are all gathering around and 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 the guy, the lad came out the door, out of his office, colour boiled shite, pale white, looked at us and went, how, what, how do you even play here? And his agents, his agents just got his head in his hands thinking, he must have thought it was a dumb deal. His agents thinking, oh, I've just lost my commission here. What the, what's going on? <laughs> and he walked out and he's never like, he, he never seen him again. Because Wesley apparently said, you know, what you want and stuff like that, and they're, and they're going, they're going back and forth, um, negotiating. He's walked around to get a coffee and come up behind him and got him in a choke and dragged him on the floor. Because the lad didn't fight back, he's gone, nah, no, you're not for me. And I, I'm like, I'm like, am I? Are we going to fucking do any coaching here? Because it seems that he's just trying to pick out the. the, the the lad who's going to do the craziest stuff. Basically, there you didn't have to. From my perspective, when I was there, 
he didn't have to be tactically uh, technically any good. Yeah, you just have to be able to run and fight. Head, put your head where people wouldn't put the feet. That's what he wants. And and, and for me, I'm just like, this is. It's not how you, it's not how you develop as a player. That's what I was about. And I was just like, nah, get me out of here. And for me, the, ne- the next question was going to be, so why did you leave? But I think you've answered that. <laughs> um... <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. So you, you, you ran back to Inverness. Um, oh, I would have crawled back. Talking about, you know, funny managers. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying funny is a good manager as well. And obviously you've held in very high esteem as a footballer yeah. and obviously as a man. Um, affectionately known as Yogi, but uh, John Hughes. Yeah. You played under Terry Butcher first time. He left um, to go to Hibs, as it was. He got appointed because of his success at Inverness. Um, yeah. But it was actually John Hughes that signed you back in, I think, in the January. How did you find mm-hmm. so your first impressions of him? As soon as, you, as soon as you walk into the door with Yogi, it's, you, you think you know football. So, like, I'd, at that stage, I was, I was 25 at that stage and you think you know the game you, you know you've got a bit of experience under your belt at that point you've played a couple of hundred games whatever and you walk in walk in with him and he gets the tactic board out as soon as I came in gets you in a headlock <laughs> <laughs> I went in with headgear on and boxing gloves I was expecting <laughs> expecting a tear up again um, but yeah he, he, he gets the tactic board out and he just completely just opens doors you, you didn't realise were there and and I mean any player any player who's played under him although he does act the goat and he does and he's, he's some character he is some character I think people as you said think about his character more than his actual yeah. like, tactical awareness um, he's but he's by far the best the best coach I've ever worked under you know he made me a player I didn't think I could be yeah Um and any player who's played under him would say the same. You know, you, you, it's impossible to not develop as a player under him. It's impossible. He, he's, he's, I don't know why he's not in the game, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know why he's still not in the game, but it is what it is. I mean, you see like the success that Inverness had under him compared to maybe where Inverness are now. They were like one of the, the better teams in what was then known as sort of the SPL. He's obviously really highly regarded at Inverness. Um, yeah. How how did you sort of obviously you've came from Graham Wesley, which has been bizarre for one of a better yeah. word. But you'd had a good yeah. experience under Terry Butcher. Um, how did you mm. sort of treat the players? Did he like let you loose a little, or was he like a bit more strict, or was he a good mix of both? Or he was a great mix of both. So like, great mix of both. So on a Monday, he'd come up to the boys and he'd want to know, you know, how the how the night out was on Saturday. Yeah. You know, he'd want to know how the night out was because, as you said, we're just normal lads. We're just 20, mid-20s lads who just, you know, you've got nothing to do afterwards. You, you, you know, you want to socialise. So he was great. He was great with that. You know, he'd be, first thing he'd do is come in and of a, of a Monday morning asking the lads, you know, how, how was Saturday night? You know, what did you get up to? And, and then on the flip side of that, he'd also have... You'd also have to weigh in every Friday before yeah. the game Saturday, and you everyone knew what weight you needed to be. Um, he had a sports scientist in, and you, everyone knew what weight you had to be to be at the levels he wanted, fitness wise. So, great mix of both. You could talk to him about anything. To be honest, there's plenty of times I walked in and 
Zusafischen Sportsmann war er nicht. Und ich, genau, ich, ich sit down for, for an hour with him and have a, have a chat. He was a really approachable guy as well. Okay. Was it with Inverness when you were there as well? You played with obviously a really young Ryan Christie who grew up to be probably right. one of the best Scottish players around. But how good was he as a young boy playing alongside him? Because you would have played sort of in tandem with him at the time. Yeah, yeah, I was, he was top draw. I always, I always, uh, one, one story I always go back to talking about him is we played Aberdeen in the League Cup final yeah. um, in 2014. And he was a, he was a kid. I think he was about 19 at the time. Yeah. And he hadn't played a lot of games, played a few games. You know, you tell he had something. Um, but there's a lot of players you see who, who have bits in training, very good, and then they can't really take that onto a game. So he came on after 17 minutes. Um, bear in mind, Aberdeen brought a lot of fans, so there's got to be about 50,000 there at that point. And they were loud as well. And he came on. And you think most lads that age, you know, they can sort of, as one of the first appearances, they can sort of just it can swallow them up a little bit. You can go into the shell. Yeah, absolutely. So I remember, I remember just sort of, I had the ball and I seen him, but I played that wide. And next minute, he curled abuse at me, ripped me head off. Said to me, give me the fucking ball, basically. And I went, he's going yeah. to be some player now. And then he's just, physically, he's just really came on. I think he'll be the next one from Scotland who's, who goes and makes it in the in the Premier League, I I really I really hope he does, and I think he will because he's got a he's got a good family around him as well. I know his dad died quite well while I was up there, and yeah, the very the, he's he's very sort of mature beyond his years. Although this physical stature of him, he's quite slim. Although he yeah. has built up, he's quite he's quite slim. But don't get me wrong, he can mix it up as well. He can leave a foot in when he needs to. So. You know, I, I, I'd expect the next the next year or two. Uh, I would imagine Celtic fans won't like me saying that, but I can imagine the next year or two he, he, he will be making a move. He's still only a kid as well. I was actually sort of Googling yeah. him last night to try and get an idea of what age he was when he was playing with you. And it came up, yeah. it was just Wikipedia, and I was like, he's still only 24. Yeah. He's 24, 24, 25 or something. And I'm just like, yeah. and he is, he's Scotland's number 10. He, he will always play in that number 10 position for Scotland. He's the yeah. number one choice, isn't he? It's like, and it's not yeah. like, I know he's playing for the best team in Scotland at the moment, which kills me to say as a man who likes Rangers a lot, but they are. Um, <laughs> but he's, At the minute, at the minute, they are. At the at minute. minute, at the minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what we hope anyway. But I mean, to be fair yeah. to sell, like they've been absolutely dominant and, and throughout like, um, you know, the past few years, Ryan Christie has been probably, if not one of the best midfielders in, in the, well, I keep saying SPL, Scottish Premiership as it is now. And I think it's, he does look like he's above it looks like beyond his years, doesn't he? You don't think he's yeah. 24, 25. Like, you can just yeah. see it. Um, you yeah. talked about the League Cup sort of there before, um, as yeah. it was. Obviously, uh, you scored a penalty in the semi-final um, in the shootout. For people who weren't aware, there was a semi-final shootout, there was a penalty shootout. So you, you scored one and you missed one, right? Now, you did, you did yeah. make up for it, which is fine. But what I'm quite curious yeah. about is, you know, we've all had that Chris Waddle... Mickey Gray for me, uh, Stuart yeah, Pierce. Yeah, yeah. We've yeah. all had that feeling. Um, what is it like going up to take a penalty and scoring it? In, I mean, obviously it's different, but what is the difference in 
how you feel going up to take the penalty and then what are the difference in emotions between scoring it and missing it? Um I think I think going I think going up to when you score it, you ask most players, you don't really think too much about it. You don't really think too much about it. You know what corner you're going. You don't normally 90% of the time you don't change it. Yeah. And and they're the ones that score. That was the one I scored, it was like that. I almost knew I was going to score it when I went out because yeah. I'd scored in the game as well. So I was, I was, yeah, 25 was high. Wasn't it? yeah, yeah. So in the final, I went up and I don't know where it came from. I got this weird, weird, weird feeling that are you sure, are you sure I'm going to go that side? Are you sure I'm going to go that side? Because normally my normal penalty would be top, sort of across my body in the top left. Yeah. That's that's what I always practice. Um and I went up there and I was thinking, because it was raining that day, I'm thinking, oh, the grass is a bit bit boggy, I don't want to slip. And you just all start overthinking things. And looking back now is one of the only times it's ever happened in my career. And you know, I, when you put it over the bar, you just want the ground to swallow it up. It's it's horrible. The only saving grace, and I know this is bad, it's coming from a selfish point of view, really was one of our other lads missed as well. Because yeah. if it would have just been me, I'd have been, yeah, I'd, I'd have been gone. I mean, I'd have been gone for weeks. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a bad one to take. It was a bad one to take, but, you know, it sort of spares you on. It spares you on a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was, that's not a, that's not a final look back fondly, I'll put it that way. Funny when you, you talk about that as well, because I mentioned two names there, and I know Chris Waddle never really came back from it, and it has kind of plagued his career, but Stuart mm. Pierce, everyone remembers the celebration after yeah. uh, Spain, one of the best things I've ever seen on a pitch. And Mickey yeah. Gray, obviously, who would be my club, missed that penalty. He went on with less than a season to play for England, and a captain of the club was brilliant. So sometimes people who, when that does happen, they, they do come back and they do have... As you said before, the combat stronger spurs them on, and as it was, you know, you did make up for it only a season later. Um, yeah, scored a penalty, I think, in a, against Celtic, which you know they're flying yeah. at the time. Game long held in the memory of many Inverness fans. But what are your memories of that day? Because I know obviously you went on you know, to the final and stuff like that, but the semi final is talked about just as much, isn't it? Yeah, to be honest, you, you look at the two games and, and and people forget about the final really. Um, although we won it in a great way. Yeah, people forget about it because the 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 semis were so good. Um, going into the game, going into the game, John Hughes set out on the Monday Monday leading up to the game. First thing he said was, "Right, we're going to let these worry about. We're going to make these worry about us. We're not going to do what ninety nine percent of the teams do against Celtic and sit back and oh, what about Forest? What about you know Van Dyke at the time stepping out from the back? You know, yeah. they've got they've got a lot of good players." A lot of good players. So we he set out from day one on in that week, right? <coughs> we're gonna we're gonna give them something to think about because they don't really they're not really used to being on the back foot. Um and the lads really bought into that. We we went in there with no pressure, no pressure whatsoever. Because if we'd got beat, everyone is was expecting that anyway. Yeah. So we went in and and, and you know, they went one nil up. Van Dyke puts one in from 30 yards, you think can't really be much about that. Um, and then, you know, as the game went on, we, we knew we were actually playing well. We knew if we could stay in the game, we'd get a chance, we'd get chances. Um, and as the game went on, 
longer the game went on, our fitness really came in and and Celtic went down to ten men and and it really played into our hands. It wasn't it wasn't a game where Celtic dominated. It was you know we deserved to win it. It, it wasn't really it wasn't really snatch and grab like people maybe would expect. It was pretty much wave after wave of attack towards the end yeah. of the game. Yeah, uh, and it was it was a great way to win it as well. The goal, the left back crossing it for the right back score, and that's the way Yogi wanted to play. So, yeah, pretty much that goal pretty much sums up how we coaches. With um, Celtic team that day, who would you have been up against in the midfield? Would that have been McGregor? Uh, it was Scott Brown. <laughs> What's Scott Brown like to play against? Um. Because he's like he's a he seems to me like a bastard to play against, but the bastard that you'd want on your team so much. Let's be honest. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, that's exactly how you describe him. You know, first and foremost, he's a he's a top player. Yeah. Uh, and he does like he does like a little he gives it a little bit as well. He likes a little bit of a, a little bit of needle in the game. He likes to get under people's skin. Um I think during that I think during that year though, at that time, I think he was I don't know fitness-wise, he was he was there because I know he was struggling with a bit of an injury, mm-hmm. and it didn't really feel like himself at that point because he's been he's been quality all. I mean, he's yeah, a top player, he's been a yeah. top top player there all you know for ten years or whatever. And um, so that that day, you know, don't get me wrong, he was still a good good player, but he wasn't the Scott Brown I knew. You yeah, know, he was having a bit of an off day, whether it was fitness or you know, because I know I know he had problems with his groin. I think so. Yeah, it, 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 you know, he still he still leaves it on, yeah, and he's he's still a good, he's still a top player, even if he's not not up to his his normal standards. He could have definitely played in the Premier League. You know, I know people yeah. say, I think people so. say, uh, he would have definitely played in the Premier League. Make no mistake about it. Yeah, um, I agree. But yeah, they they had quality all over. They've got quality all over the pitch. You know, they had. You even look at the Dembele who used to be there. You know, he's looking at a big move at the minute. You know, they, they've got a very good, very good scouting system there, as well. And replacing Dembele, you look at Edwards even better. Like yeah, exactly, exactly. And he's um, twenty. So yeah, yeah, and know. Frighten is now big years as well. Scary. He's Scary from, stuff. Yeah, he's from size. Talking Some about size. the FCL, who was the best player you came up against during your time at you know every club you've been with? I think I'd I mean I came up against a few. Um Dembele, I, I, the, we played we played Celtic at home for Inverness and Dembele was you know, I'd never seen anything like it, the strength and power of him. But I'd say Van Dyke, Van Dyke's I'd say Van Dyke was like a, he, when he used to step out the, from the back, you know, he's six foot four. You know, he can run. You know, yeah. you're not going to outrun him. You're definitely not going to out, out jump him and you're not going to push him off the ball. And he can pass with both feet and score from 30 yards. I don't really know what else you need as a player. And stepping out from the back, he's like, I, I always used to say, he's like a transformer stepping out from the back. He can't really. You know, it almost takes two lads to get to to, to hit him. You know, if you really want to stop him, yeah. um, and you know his, his leadership as well. You know, he's, he's constantly talks in the game, and he's like a Rolls Royce. And even in the prem now, he never looks even like he's going at seventy percent. He just 
he just glides through games. So yeah, I'd say him. There's been, yeah, there's been a, there's been a lot to be fair. There's been a lot, but I, I'd say I'd say him. With Inverness, obviously, there's loads of stuff that you did, um, and it's difficult to put a whole career into like an hour. But as it was, you yeah, know, no, no. You did end up leaving Inverness. Um, and, you know, John Hughes had departed by that point as well. And I think you signed a pre-contract with Aberdeen. Um, yeah. Aberdeen and Inverness, obviously not the best of friends. Um, no. Did you just really enjoy living in the north of Scotland at that point? Or what was your thought <laughs> process behind it? <laughs> uh, uh, thought process at, at the time where it was Aberdeen had came in for me in the January previous, so That's January right. 2017. Yeah. Aberdeen came in for me deadline day. Um, and that was a bit of a strange one. Uh, they triggered me release clause or went over me release clause and Inverness still wouldn't let me go, which was which was very flattering, but it was a bit strange for it all to happen, to be honest, because at that point, you, you just literally, you're literally like, you don't know where you're going to be sleeping tomorrow. Yeah. You know, you just sat there waiting for a call. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think throughout my career, I've been... Uh, Look back, and I was, I was, I went out of my way to be quite loyal, and you know, I'd spoke to Derek McInnes quite a lot the year before during deadline day, and he was great with me. You know, he was great with me during it, and afterwards as well, he still kept in contact and and things like that. So I felt like I I owed it to them to to go there, and plus Aberdeen was a big club Huge. at that point, and and I, I thought to myself, well. You know, I can, I can, I can maybe go home, but what's what's the point going on? You know, you only have one career. So at yeah. that point, I'm thinking, oh no, forget it. Like I, I've been in, in the Europa League as well, so I'm playing in the Europa League again. And you know, I thought, you know, there's a lot of possibilities if I do well. Again, when you go to Aberdeen, your profile raises even more. Yeah, going from Inverness, if you do, if you if you do well. So that was me thinking. Really, I thought it'd be a great another good opportunity for, for me to develop again. Because I think that's what football's mostly about. I think if you develop sure. the money comes money comes afterwards. It's not necessarily about the money. I know mm-hmm. I know people I've never I never I was never really one to think about that. Um so yeah they were me they were me sort of thoughts going there. That that that's what I that's what I wanted to I wanted to get and then you know Things changed pretty, pretty radically, uh, and that was a yeah, that was the toughest time in my life. Talking about, that, yeah, I mean, you talk about Aberdeen, and it seemed like the injuries hit immediately, and it's it's weird because I've I looked back and I looked back through your career, and I thought, right, when has he had injury problems before this? And you hadn't really, you no, hadn't really had any never, new problems. No, I don't, I'd only missed games. I was at Inverness for three and a half years before I went to Aberdeen. And I'd only missed the game through suspension. Yeah. That's the only time I'd missed. And, and even previously to that. Um, so I'd never really been injured. So again, it was a that was a I, I was a tough one to even I, I had no previous history and, and no experience of being injured. So I, you're sort of there going, what what, what am I meant to do here? So I'm just I was just literally trying to do everything I could to get back and and you know, it come when it came down to it, and and I'm I'm I'm, I'm finding things out from from other surgeons and physios about about what was up with me. 
I couldn't. It was hard to take. I almost, I, I almost couldn't. In fact, I couldn't. You can't. No player, no matter what you've been through in your career or what you've done in the past, nothing can can prepare you for something like that. Because it's a bone you know, infection, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like how did they diagnose that? Well, after after f- that was they diagnosed the bone fe- infection after three operations. And I'd actually had an abscess on my pelvis after the first operation he had. So what they said was, the report said, after my first, I only had a hernia. Mm-hmm. Like a little a little hernia that I needed repairing. I'd actually played against Motherwell mm-hmm. for 60 minutes for Aberdeen on the Sunday and had the operation on the Tuesday. So it was just basically a case of tidying it up and away you go in a couple of weeks. Looking at the report afterwards, the the mesh was put six centimeters too high in my pelvis, which then got infected, and then an abscess occurred from that. And I was trying to get back. I was trying to get back to do my rehab with that there, and that lasted. It was there for about eight months to a year, and and then. You know, obviously, because of that, you get bone infections. The infection gets worse. And I, I was coming in after the during my time at Aberdeen. I, I was coming in. I couldn't even walk. Couldn't even get out of the car. You know, I couldn't get out of bed properly. Couldn't walk around. And and you, you start thinking to yourself, how can I get back to the way I was physically if I can't mm-hmm. even walk? And the operation was six months ago. Something's not right here. So there was a little bit of a little bit of um, questions asked from Aberdeen to me as well, saying, you know, do you really want to get back fit? And I'm thinking, I really want to be able to walk properly and get out of bed. I haven't had any history of being injured before this. I'm not that type of lad, and I don't think most, I don't think any professional would be. What do you you want me to do? I'm I'm not here for the weather. I'm not in Aberdeen for the weather. You know what I mean? Fucking freeze. Like, what, what do you think I'm here for? Yeah, Terrible weather in Aberdeen. So, yeah, I know. So, you know, it was, as I said, it was a tough, 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 tough end to my career the last the last couple of years there, you know, and then it, it, it really, it really teaches you what, what football's, the dirty side of football, because there is, there is a dirty side that, you know, I know, you know, players, players say this and, and when we spoke before about you get that detachment from fans and players, you know, fans think, oh, it can't be, you know, can't be that bad to, 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 to live in the life or or whatever. During that time, I, I it was the lowest I've been in my life, and it, yeah. you know, it was the hardest part of my life. Um, I think anyone in that position would have would have been the same, and you know, it was a, uh, you know, people talk about mental health and stuff like that. It was a tough, tough time. Uh, the PFA were good. PFA were good. They were, they were, they, they were there. But you can only, the hands are tied. You can only do so much. You know, I, I think there needs there needs to be a little bit more done f- for the PFA to 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 have more of a say. Yeah. Because when I then eventually went to St Mirren, um, they wouldn't. You know, obviously it flared up again, 
and they were saying it's not our problem, it's Aberdeen's their fault. You know, Aberdeen apologised to me about the particular series and he sent to him and said we won't we won't be sending any more of our players to him. But I was thinking, was too late now. I'm yeah. Uh, what have I got to deal with you? You know, it's no point in saying that to me. So yeah, I was like past round and and uh, sort of everyone was trying to wash their hands of me and and it's definitely not it's definitely it's definitely not the uh, the sort of glitz and glamour that that you dream about as a kid when you're playing football for it that way. But you know, I look back on it and it sets you up. It sets you up for the rest of your rest of your life. You can pretty much you know as you you doing yourself. You know you start your own your own thing and you yeah. You know, you get an experience in that. It, the, the, the stuff that's happened in your past, it sets you up for, for the rest of your, for your future, I think. And good or bad, well, put it this way, you learn more from the bad things than you do the good things. You don't learn from anything that good happened. I know it's a cliche, but that's the way it is. True. That's the way I feel at the minute. So, absolutely. you know, true. I'm, I'm, yeah. You know, when it comes to, you talk about the PFA and stuff like that before, and I've spoke to players who've had... um like I had a really good conversation with Jeff Whitley about a year and a half ago who went through a yeah. horrendous time with drink and drugs. And I think sometimes those stories are, are really highlighted and rightly so because those people very much need support as well. But what one thing I'm coming across a lot is players who can have long-term injuries um, and it's your profession. You want to get on the pitch. You've seen mm. what players are going through at the minute just by not being able to get on the pitch with lockdown. Some players yeah. have that for six, big six months period because their body is just letting them down to no fault of their own. And sometimes yeah. it feels like, and you said before, like they were questioning, you know, do you want to get fit? Do you think that, and I'm not saying Aberdeen in particular, I'm saying football, so I'm not particularly picking any mm-hmm. particular team and I'm just asking about your experience. But just, do you think sometimes that not just having a help or support channel for players who may be going through addiction or things that are horrible on, on the mind, but things that can really affect you, like not being able to play football, do you think that should also be allowed to be, you know, if someone's injured and it's long-term, you should have an avenue where you can go, I'm actually feeling a bit shit here, and this is not just physical, it's a bit of a mental aspect of all, because I spoke yeah. to Sam Allardyce about that, and he said about Jack Rodwell and how he thinks a lot of his injuries were actually mental. Yeah. Because he kept thinking, oh, I'm feeling this, and I do a scan, and there would be nothing there. Obviously, not that's not the case with you and a lot of other players, but that does come into it because mental health is affected yeah. that much by long-term injury, and yet it seems that there's not a great deal of support for that side of it. Do you think yeah, you could yeah. do it a bit well, more? Yeah, I think I think they could. I mean, the PFA do great. The PFA do as well as they can do, but I yeah. think numbers-wise, they just need more people there to help players. Because it, it, literally. The, the 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 people that are at the PFA, the great great people, but they just need to be more of them. Yeah, like there, there was, there's, you know, I I was speaking to the PFA and 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 there's sort of you get sort of one one maybe two slots a week if you're lucky, and that's so basically normally one slot, and yeah. that and you can only do so much in half an hour conversation. Yeah. You know, it's pretty much forgot about by the Tuesday on it if you have it on a Sunday. Do you know what I mean? So, I think, I think there can be there can be more done in terms of there can just be a bigger sort of just a bigger team of them, a bigger team. That's maybe maybe it's, if it's regional or, or or things like that because you can speak to people on the phone and that's all well and good, but talking to someone face to face, you get a lot more out of that. 
yeah, you get a lot more out of that. And don't get me wrong, this isn't just this isn't just for footballers. I think men in general, and and you know, obviously women as well, everyone. But you know, there's been stats come out that it's very high in men. Yeah, absolutely. With depression, no matter what life walk of life you're in. You, <laughs> The way things are at the minute and the way life is, you're gonna come up against struggles and 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 people need support, the strongest people need support. And I think I think the more open maybe men are, I think that'll help in the long term. Because I think I was the worst one for it. I was I was I didn't want to give anything away, I didn't want to tell anyone. I was maybe feeling a bit shit because I seen as weakness, as as many men probably do. I seen it as weakness. I can look back now and say, I should have just came out and got it all off my chest and maybe could have dealt with it better. But at that time, you you don't want to. I just think yeah. you maybe need to educate people before it actually happens and get it out there saying it's all right to be fine. I know there's a lot of campaigns going on at the minute for it, but it's okay to, you know, if you're going through things, I was thinking to myself, I was, I was going through what I went through at that time with Inji. It'd be a bit weird if I didn't give give a fuck. It'd be a bit weird if I was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I'm getting paid. Oh, well. You know, people... <laughs> that's that, that's the way... It's just life. It's just life. It's not you how get, it works, is it? No, no, nah, nah, it's not how life works. So I, I just think... I think... You know, getting getting it out there and, and speaking to people about it and, cu- you know, couple that up with just basically a, a bigger team for the PFA really on, on, on mental health. And I think, I think you could help a lot of footballers, but people outside of football, because, because it's, it, it can be, it's especially now, especially now what, what people are having to deal with, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's a massive, massive thing. Yeah. Greg, I don't think I could have ended that any better, mate. Thanks very much. <laughs> that was dynamite, mate. Right, Thank you, you. Mate. I enjoyed that. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, no, no, I did, yeah. No, I really enjoyed it, mate.